Let's take our Bibles, if you would, and I'm sorry I do not have an outline printed for everyone tonight, but I trust you can follow along. Psalm 19, where uh, really how I started was arrested with one verse, actually just one phrase in this verse, and and uh, I realized that I could not present that one phrase without the context of the psalm, and so tonight we're uh, going to take our time and uh, work through uh, this psalm. And again, just to be reminded, psalms are songs. These uh, we have the melodies have been lost in history, but yet the uh, uh, the Jewish way of poetry, the Jewish way of expressing. Uh, in, in their poetry was not rhyming words. In English, we have, we want to match syllables, we want to rhyme words, and we try to make things in poetry that you could never say uh, in regular language. That's why it's called poetry. And if you uh, are a person that likes poetry. Uh, now, that stuff that they put on the walls in the subway cars and call it poetry in motion, uh, go back to school and uh, please learn. Uh, because modern poetry in English does not rhyme anything, does not make any sense, does not... Uh, it, I guess it's supposed to open your mind, but I'm afraid to what it's going to open it to. So I, I don't spend a lot of time with that stuff. Uh, uh, there, there is a lot of beautiful poetry in the English language, and, and we should enjoy that. Many of our hymns started out as poems. And uh, in the Hebrew, the, the songs, the poems that were in Hebrew... Again, we're meant to express things in ways that just normal prose or normal spoken word uh, cannot. And Psalm 119 is written by David. And we're going to divide this psalm. It actually divides itself into three uh, different areas. I want you to notice verses 1 through 6 is the voice of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork, is where he starts out. And uh, uh, it ends with the fact that uh, the sun is from one end of the heavens to the other, and there is nothing that is hid from the heat thereof. And even in the wintertime, I want you to know the sun is working. Uh, because if it weren't, it would not just be cold. It would be 285 degrees below zero, and all life would cease to exist. Uh, the sun is working, and it heats this planet in which we live. And uh, we uh, ought to be glad of that. But then, in verses 7 through 9, now we have the voice of the Creator. You'll notice the law of the Lord the testimony of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, uh, the fear of the Lord, and the judgments of the Lord. These are God's revelation to mankind. Creation is not sufficient in itself to teach us about God. 
Uh, I heard someone out on the uh, street, uh, on Steinway today, and they were talking to, uh, it was one of those little groups of people with the iPads, and they're trying to convince you about something, and I heard the young lady tell the man she was talking to, don't you love trees? And I just picked up my pace and started walking a little faster. Uh, I did not want to get into that conversation. I love trees. In fact, this used to be a tree. Amen. And, uh, uh, and I love wildlife. I love God's creatures. There's always room for one right next to the potatoes and gravy. Amen. And I'm sorry, if you're a PETA person, see me afterward for counseling. We'll try to help you through this. Uh, but uh, God made creation to be enjoyed, to tell us about Him and His goodness. But I will tell you this, creation is not sufficient to teach us about God. That's why we have this book right here called the Bible. And then we have the voice of the created. As we allow God's creation to drive us to the Creator and His words work in our heart, then things ought to be different. Uh, I wish I could figure out a different way to say this, but if Jesus were to sleep in your living room for a month, would things change at your apartment? If you're going like this, you're in trouble. You know that? Because He lives inside of us. I've often asked someone who's struggling, and they say, Pastor, I just can't quit smoking. And I was, would you blow smoke in Jesus' face? <laughs> Of course not. But yet, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Are you not blowing smoke every time you breathe in? You know, we do not, we are not mindful of our Creator as we should be. And this is the psalm, one of the psalms, and this is the message of this psalm. And I kind of want to jump ahead and just touch on this one thing because it is going to be related to our theme for this coming year. I want you to look with me at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. God's law lacks nothing. It is God's law that teaches us of our sinfulness. God's law was never designed to stop a person from sinning. It was designed to convict you and to judge you a sinner and to put you under the interdict of the judgment of Almighty God. And once we realize where we are, what are we going to do? Well, if we will biblically repent, we will pick up our sin in all of its horribleness, offense toward God, and bring it to Him. Because He's the only one that can satisfy His own law. The law of the Lord is perfect 
It lacks nothing. It is complete. It is without error. I do not understand modern biblical scholarship as they call it. Because almost every one of them, every voice you hear talks about a Bible that is full of contradictions and full of errors. And yet God, over and over and over and over again, and Jesus Christ, when He was here on this earth, He said that not one jot or one tittle would vanish from this law, would disappear till all be fulfilled. And it's not yet all been fulfilled. God has given us a perfect Word. And someone says, well, well, okay. It's a perfect Word. There's 153 translations in the English language. Where are you going to find it? Right here. My old King James. I have no qualms about that at all. It's the only translation in the English language that is, does not use the minority text, the corrupt text of ancient times. It's the only one. I wish I could tell you different. And somebody said, but those words are hard. Oh, I'll tell you. I read an article about a gentleman. His name slips my mind. I'm not trying to uh, be derogatory in any way, but he, his claim to fame is at 83 years old, he has completed an entire translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into English. And uh, the guy who was writing the review on the translation was using parts of his translation. See how it flows? And I'm sitting there, that doesn't flow. That's more like gravy when you get too much cornstarch and it gets cold. Blop. And he says, oh, it's just so beautiful. He transcends the, the, uh, uh, the bondage of word-to-word translation. If you lose your word-to-word correlation, you're no longer conveying the meaning of the text. And he relegates the Holy Spirit of God in creation to the breath of God. Excuse me, the Holy Spirit is not breath. The Holy Spirit is God. It's the part of God that touches you and I. It's the part of man. Our spirit, the human spirit, was that which died when Adam and Eve sinned, cutting us off from a relationship with God. You cannot relegate the Holy Spirit of God to a breath. That's blasphemy, my friends. Just stick with what you have. The words, the law of the Lord. I wish I could preach the whole night on this one sermon verse, but I'm sorry. I'm going to try to get back here. Is perfect converting the soul. But here's where it is. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Now, I want you to read that very carefully. Verse 7. Making the simple Wise. Is that what your Bible says? Yes? No? Maybe? What? No, I read it exactly the opposite of what it says. It's the, te- the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
Now, how many of you, if you first really stop and think about that, we're in Psalm 19. How many of you are actually glad, if you stop and think about that, that that's in the Bible the way it's in the Bible? You see, I don't have to be smart to be saved. Do you get it? God takes the wisdom. He takes our greatest accomplishment. He takes our, if I could use the term logic, He he takes our ability to think, our ability to attain to great things, and makes it absolutely worthless. Now, one of the, the, the theme for this year, and I, we haven't gotten everything down. We've, uh, uh, Andrew's been, Dad, what's the theme? And I'm saying, I'm still thinking. Uh, you just have to give me some time. And, uh, well, well, it's the first of year. Well, everybody else will just have to wait. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, so be patient. Pray for me if you would. But, you know, I, I have spent many, 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 many sermons here as pastor of this church trying to teach the depths of the knowledge of God. And, and I do believe that if you've been around this church very long, you've gotten a good Bible education. But this year I want us to work on something. It is the simplicity that is in Christ. You see, one of the greatest truths is the most complicated things of the Bible are actually the most simple, aren't they? The deepest things of the Bible are so easy that a little child can reach out and grab them. In fact, one of our theme verses is, Except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus is serious about this. He said, Let the little children come unto me. And he, Paul warns us, and he, he is warning in the letter that he wrote, and he said, I, I'm afraid, I'm, I fear, lest ye by any means as the devil tempted Eve, that you would be corrupted, that you would be moved from the simplicity that is in Christ. And that's, that's what I want us to really grab a hold of. And so with that theme in mind, let's go back and and see if we can get through the 14 verses here. Let's read the, the first text block here, verses 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. By the way, does anybody know the difference between the heavens and the firmament? Actually, there is none. Just two different words. It, it is the poetic way of explaining, uh, you go through creation and the, you have uh, God created the heavens and the earth and He put a firmament. And in that firmament are, is the, what we would know as the universe. There's also a firmament of the earth talking about the clouds and the atmosphere of the earth. But 
the firmament actually refers to more than that. And so as we look up into the heavens, how many of you have ever been outside the city where it's really dark and you don't have the ground light and you could look up and see? And it looks like you could see forever, doesn't it? And actually, it's pretty close. Because you are looking across tens of thousands of light years as man measures it. And I've been up, up in the mountains in different places. And I mean, it, when, when the lights are out, it is dark. And you can just lay there on the ground and you can even see the nebula between the stars and so many incredible things. And in fact, when uh, my wife and I were away for our 30th anniversary, I got one of those apps on my phone and, and I can push a button and point my phone and it'll tell me what I'm looking at. Now, oh, that is cool. I like that. And it was free too, if you don't mind the ads. And, and uh, um, keeps telling me, upgrade now. So you guys live in New York City. I'm not going to see nothing. So I'm not upgrading. Uh, I don't upgrade for just a vacation once in a while. But if you've ever seen the pictures in, in the books, the pictures of the Hubble telescope, the pictures that man takes, you just sit there and go, wow. And, and the way I love to put it, who but God? could waste all of that space and matter to put one little planet in the entire universe with people on it. Only God could. Only He has that much to use up and not worry about it. God was not impoverished when He created our universe. They claim it's 13.5 billion light years across. Well, if you read, I believe it's in Isaiah, it's the span of God's hand. So, gives you a little idea how big God is. Amen? And you can see His handiwork. Those that went to Fleshman's. How many of you enjoyed the little flurries we got? It wasn't much snow, but it was... Just the right amount. The roads weren't slick and it just felt good and, and it was nice and cold and it looked Christmassy and all that good stuff. And, uh, but have you ever seen pictures of snowflakes under a microscope? I'll tell you there, everyone is different. Everyone is beautiful. Everyone is unbelievable. In God's world, and see, here's what it says in verse 2. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. Could I challenge you that man has spent all of human history trying to describe the creation that God created in six literal days? Would you agree with me on that statement? I mean, James Audubon in the late 1700s, early 1800s, drew some of the most wonderful pictures uh, of American wildlife. If you ever have a chance to look at one of his books, it is, it is well worth the time and the effort to read his description uh, of the animals and, and the birds and, and all of these things. It's, it's gorgeous to look at. Everywhere I look, 
I can find out just a little bit more. And then the sun goes down, and it's just like God puts on a whole new display of His greatness and His goodness. From the stars and the planets and the things out in the universe to the little fireflies. How many of you have ever caught the lightning bugs in your hand? I mean, it is a complex chemical reaction that makes that light glow. Uh, but you see, evolutionists would tell us that the lightning bugs could not find their mate, and so they developed a light to attract each other. Uh, now, I've known some people that have done some pretty dumb stuff to try to attract a mate, uh, but the lightning bugs didn't develop that on their own. They were created that way. Amen? And uh, uh, so, uh, we better move on before I get myself in trouble, shouldn't I? And... Uh, It says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. How true is that? Every people group in the history of mankind have developed some type of creation theory. Do talk about or worship the sun. There is no language, there is no people group that have not talked about God's creation. Why do you think it's so important for the evolutionists to begin in kindergarten undermining the faith and belief in a creator? It's because if you look at creation and you're honest, you have to know that there's somebody smarter than politicians out there. Amen? I got one laugh. Oh, I get so tired of these people who think they know everything. Now look at verse 4. Their line is gone out throughout. Their line is gone out through all the earth. And their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Certainly, the part of creation that affects us the most, the part of creation that we see, our sun, they tell us, is 93 million miles away. And yet, it produces enough heat to keep this earth perfectly within the realm of human endurance to live. That is beyond our understanding. And yes, I know there are those that talk about a stationary earth and a geocentric universe and, and uh, uh, instead of the, uh, the sun being at the center of the universe and the planets. and You know what? I, I'm not going to try to argue with all of those people about anything. But I'll tell you what, David describes what happens with the sun pretty well, doesn't he? How many of you watched the sun rise over the horizon? You see, in the Jewish wedding, it wasn't the bride that was all dressed up. It was always the bridegroom. 
The Jewish wedding was always about the groom, not the bride. It was his entrance to society. And if you understand that, then you'll understand a whole lot uh, uh, more about when the Bible talks about Jesus' love for his church as a bride, as a bridegroom for his bride. And the, the wedding in the Jewish culture uh, was, in, at least in David's day and in the time of our Lord and Savior, was much more about the groom than it was about the bride. And, and the sun goes forth. It goes from one end of the heavens to the other, and nothing is hid from the heat thereof. I'll tell you what, David did a pretty good job describing creation here, did he not? The more we look about it, the more we talk about it, the more we try to explain it, the more we try to... But then he's going to take, and he is going to now take this first section that talks about creation, and he is going to rhyme this, he's going to contrast this with the revelation of God. Because the revelation of God is superior to the creation of God in every way. You see, it's the law of the Lord that's perfect. We don't understand all of creation. I just love some of God's creation. Because it just defies science to figure it out. How many of you have ever seen a duck-billed platypus? It's just like God had a lot of extra parts when everything was done. He threw it all together and he just made something. So when the scientist looks at it and tries to explain it, he just sits there and goes, you can't do it. But even a child can understand, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I wish we could make some adults understand that. Tell you, we we need to be careful with the name of God. It says the law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? It converts the soul. If you're going to get saved... You must come under the conviction of God's law and understand, as Paul put it in the book of Romans, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But then, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. Oh, how many, many intellects are out there. And you sit there and you read their books and you try to, uh, you know, and it's been more than one occasion. I, I guess I do not play the part well. Uh, but they'll say, listen, I, I can answer questions you're not even smart enough to think of. And I'm sitting there going, that's probably true. But if I was that smart, I'd be dumb just like you are. Because the truth of the Bible is not an intellectual concept. It is something to be lived each and every day. 
And you see, I don't have to be wise to be saved. In fact, if I'm childish, it will help a lot. Amen? It says here, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. I mean, we could spend a whole evening on each one of these things, and I'm going to try to move through quickly. But how many of you have ever known the peace that comes with obeying God's laws? Just doing what's right. Oh, the statutes, that's another way of saying God's laws, God's requirements, uh, the, the barriers, the, the confinement on that narrow way, what do they do? They rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. How many of you have ever looked at something and you said, boy, that looks like that guy is the real rascal scoundrel, and then you look at it again and all of a sudden you find out he's the hero and everybody else is the scoundrel. Uh, You know what? God's law helps us to see things clearly and understand. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Do I have to spend any time on that? The fear of the Lord is clean. God never sacrifices His holiness. Amen? Amen? It endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. The psalmist here is rejoicing in the voice of the Creator. He says, listen, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Man has spent his entire existence trying to describe God's creation. But it's the law of the Lord that's pure. It's the testimonies of the Lord that are sure. It's the statutes of the Lord that are right. It's the commandments of the Lord that are pure. It's the fear of the Lord that's clean. The judgments of God are true and righteous altogether. There is no shadow of darkness. In Him is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. You don't need to be afraid of God. I don't know how many times someone said, well, if you get too much of that Bible, it'll make you crazy. Oh, yeah, but it's good. I like it. Uh, I'm going to be there. How about you? It's the right kind of crazy, because if the world thinks I'm crazy, maybe God thinks I'm sane. And that's whose opinion counts anyway, amen? And then we get to the voice of the created. He says, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. I've never tried this, but I've often wondered if I hid several $100 bills in this auditorium somewhere, and said, whoever finds them gets to keep them, how much effort would be made to find them? And yet, when we open God's Word and talk about God's laws and God's holiness, it says, they're more to be desired than gold, yea, than much 
fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Tell you, honey is sweet, is it not? I don't think there's any substance on earth that is sweeter than honey. But the Bible says God's laws are sweeter than anything we can experience. If we'll just surrender to them. Look at the next verse. It says, moreover, by them is thy servant warned. God has a right to tell us what is right and what is wrong. In fact, God is the only one. I don't care. You want to define and redefine things and people have... uh, 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 changed the definition, tried to change the definition of marriage. No, it's still God's definition. God hasn't changed it. Sin is still sin. Holiness is still holiness. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And the Bible tells us that if we will allow the words of the Creator to to be what they're supposed to be, more precious, more to be desired than gold, sweeter than honey. Listen, God will tell me what I can and cannot do. And then it says, and in the keeping of them, there is great reward. How many of you have lived the Christian life long enough to understand the rewards of simple obedience to God's Word. Amen? That wasn't very loud. Do you you really believe that? If you do, you understand that God warns us. He tells us the difference between right and wrong. How many people have been entangled and ensnared by habits and addictions and all of these things because... Oh, listen, you're supposed to be like John Wayne and handle your liquor. Well, if you know anything about John Wayne, he didn't do a very good job of handling his liquor. Only on screen. And uh, it, and he was one of the better ones. Sad to say. The world will destroy you. That is what its goal is. Then verse 12, who can understand his errors? Now, I hope you don't make the same error I did as I read that verse the first time. I said, who can understand God's errors? No, 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 his is yours. You can't even understand your own sin. You know, we have to be able to trust God to tell us the difference between right and wrong. And then he says, cleanse thou me from secret faults. Now, what does the word secret mean? It means hidden. Well, if it's, I can't understand mine own errors, yeah, that's true. Then, Lord, cleanse me from the sins that I don't even understand that are going on in my life. Aren't you glad? I met someone one time and they said, well, listen, if you don't confess your sins, God doesn't forgive you for them. I said, Wait a minute. How many sins did Jesus die for on the cross? Well, all of them. 
Well, when he saves you, no, no, you must confess your... Well, if that's what you believe, then you become your own Savior because it is your memory and your ability to confess sins that saves you. That's not the way the Bible works. Aren't you glad that God is more concerned over us and our salvation than we are? Amen? And He does not allow error or, or a mistake on our part to, lose, uh, to cause us to lose our relationship with God. And the psalmist is saying, who can understand his errors? Who can understand even the wrong things? Uh, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Verse 13, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Now, a lot of people want to put in a whole lot of things here. But here's simply what the psalmist is saying. Presumption is simply taking authority that does not belong to you. Do you know what happens with sin? You'll get comfortable with it. And it will control you and demand things from you. And the psalmist is saying, don't ever let me get there, Lord. Keep me back from being controlled. Let not those sins have uh, uh, control or dominion over me. And then he says, then shall I be upright. You know, we're not trying to pick on any one sin here. Sin is sin. But, you know, the best way to quit smoking? Never smoke the first one. That's, that's what he's praying about here. The best way to deal with addiction to drugs and all of is never get addicted in the first place. Don't ever take the first drink and you won't become an alcoholic. You see... What, God, what the psalmist is trying to get us to understand is, if I'll get the law of God, if I'll understand His testimonies, His statutes, His commandments, if I'll fear the Lord, if I'll understand His judgments are the final word on righteousness and truth, the Lord will keep me back. What is the great transgression, by the way? Well, we could put in, we could think of a lot of things that it's a great, but what is the great transgression? Pride. It's the beginning of all sin. The first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Do you know you have to break that one before you break any of the other 612 that are in the Old Testament law? Because you have to put yourself in the position of God, take authority that does not belong to you in order to do. Why do you think you lose your temper so easily? It's because you're taking authority that doesn't belong to you. And you know, temper can be just as addictive as crack cocaine. And even more controlling. See, keep me from the great transgression. Let's go back to verse 7, the second half there. Making wise the simple. What does it say? 
God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Be careful. I've met some people that claim to be so humble they can't even pronounce the H. They just go, oh, I'm just an humble preacher. If you're telling people about it, you ain't got it. Humility is one of those things. If you, if you open your eyes and recognize you just lost it. You see, that's what God wants in our lives. And so he ends this song by saying, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The voice of creation is more than any one of us can understand. But God's revelation surpasses His voice in creation in every aspect, does it not? And it will have an an effect in our lives if we will understand the value of God's laws. If we will understand the beauty and the worth of God's commandments, if we'll understand the sweetness that comes when I surrender my will to God's, and I pray for His cleansing. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in Thy sight. Tell you what, I hope you can see the circle that the psalm makes. We start looking at the creation. Then we look to the Creator. Then the Creator changes us and makes us a part of His creation as He originally intended us to be. Then, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart are acceptable in His sight. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father,